0: had Ruthie pray for me. In fact, during those rare occasions when I speak, I always typically ask her to pray for me and um, just felt like the Lord really spoke through her and uh, a simple prayer that the Lord would give me the words that need to be shared this morning and that God would uh, call us again to the work of evangelism. And so this morning, I want to encourage you on that topic, evangelism. Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And then he went on and, in fact, if I read the whole sentence, it's a little bit more detailed, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Doing uh, evangelism, being a witness, does involve enduring hardship, work, uh, sometimes even keeping your head. So uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very special thing. I'd like to mention uh, or, or add that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what I share, uh, there is no condemnation. Just hear it as an encouragement. You know, our DNA uh, years ago was to hit the streets on Peoria, and so evangelism is not something that is new to us. And yet, um, I believe that it's good for us to, uh, from time to time, see are we are we continuing to be faithful to complete the work God has called us to. So that's that's what I think uh, we need to do. And uh, but before I even uh, get to that topic, I'd like for us to just. Uh, Pause for a moment to remember what we've heard from this Pope at the last couple of Sundays. Jim Grinnell preached a, a message, really gripped my heart, on taking heed how you hear, and then Gordon's message last week on obedience. I felt like those, those two messages went hand in glove. Jim preached that God's word is always calling us to listen, it is critical how we respond. Jim reminded us that obedience is God's love language. To obey is better than sacrifice. And uh, the words of Jesus, he who keeps my commands loves me. And this uh, word that uh, I think was already mentioned in prayer this morning, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And then Gordon spoke about obedience last Sunday. Again, an excellent, powerful uh, word. He reminded us that Jesus was always obedient. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. And then uh, Gordon outlined for us three wonderful, wonderful rewards of obedience. First, uh, a three-part reward of God's presence in our life, his power and his peace. Secondly, cleansing and sanctification, and finally, eternal salvation. Those wonderful thoughts. Keeping these verses as a backdrop, let's think about evangelism this morning. Tom McIndorfer, Patty Eland, uh, uh, Dave and Beth Troutman, Art Adams, and I attended an evangelism training course three weeks ago called No Place Left. And I'm going to include a lot of uh, some of the highlights from that uh, training in in what I share in a little bit. But uh, uh, I think most of all, uh, I was impressed... The, the seminar was challenging, it was inspirational, motivational, I believe it was for this time. But uh, I think the, the thing that struck me most was not the excellent information. In fact, there is not just one way to do evangelism. It's four spiritual laws, the Roman road, evangelism explosion, all these are wonderful ways. It's just, uh, just doing it, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Just doing it. In in this particular seminar, we learned about God's perfect design. Uh, We learned uh, about Eve's and Adam's choice. Their first choice was one of disobedience, which led, of course, to brokenness. And then we heard, of course, of God's uh, amazing plan of redemption. So uh, other than the excellent information i heard overall... uh, last, uh, well, three weeks ago, that what evangelism about, is about is, is obedience. Are we, are we going to actually do what we've been commissioned to do? Are we going to be faithful to complete the work? Some of us have been on the road a long time. Some of us have just started. But the message is the same to all of us. There is no plan B. We are the witnesses. We are the ones that have been called to do the work. One of the things that really struck me uh, early on. We had a section called Brutal Facts, and many of you know this, but it's it's good to hear it again. Only 2% of the 2.2 billion that call themselves Christians in our world today ever share their faith with another person. Those numbers, I believe, need to change if we are going to complete the Great Commission and complete this great missionary enterprise that we've been commissioned to do another very interesting kind of a local statistic was this there are 100,000 people in Broken Arrow we had this training in Broken Arrow 80% of them are on church right here in the in the buckle of the Bible belt 40% of them according to the the hosts of the seminar uh, they feel are perhaps uninvitable in other words they may not they may not respond immediately to the gospel. But they went on to say, if we could uh, reach the, the remaining, uh, let's see, 80%, 80,000, 40,000, if we could reach the remaining 10%, which is about 4,000 people, a movement will begin that can impact all the rest of them. So, so it's, it's reaching those that are reachable, and there are so many of those. Uh, They don't attend church, but they're open to hearing the gospel. I'd like to point out quickly that to be an evangelist, you don't need to be a trained speaker. In fact, that can perhaps be a hindrance at, at times. To do the work of an evangelist, we are to be witnesses. We're to witness. We're to tell what has happened to us. I believe that some of the most effective evangelism in all the world happens in one-on-one conversation. Surely in all the Muslim nations where our missionaries are, where Sarah works, we prayed for Sarah this morning. Uh, The only way you really can do evangelism is one-on-one conversation. The scripture promises that the word of God will never return void. It will have its effect, Hebrews 4.12, where the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing him to the dividing center of soul and spirit, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So God's word, as we share it, will have its effect if we'll be obedient to actually go and do the work. Let me share a couple of what I think are amazing testimonies. Solomon. Probably none of you know him. He's the pastor of McLean Bible Church in uh, just outside of D.C. in uh, Virginia. In fact, they have multiple campuses now. Lon grew up in a Jewish home. I'm, I'm not sure that Lon was a practicing Jew, but he was a Jew. So that meant something to him. He went, went on to college, and he tells a story of uh, this, uh, this uh, itinerant preacher that would come every summer In this humble travel trailer, he's bringing his family and set up for a two-week crusade, as it were, and would preach every night. And very few people came. In fact, Lon was amazed that the guy would keep coming back because of the very, what seemed to be, poor response and very little interest. But the amazing thing that happened was Lon listened a couple of summers to what this man had to say. And he became convinced that, in fact, this guy was sharing the truth. Lon's life was totally transformed. He received Christ. He went on to seminary. And uh, now he has one of the largest churches in the D.C. area. Many congressmen, their staffers attend McLean Bible Church. Why did it happen? Because someone was willing to do the work of an evangelist and tell this Jewish boy the, great, the greatest message ever preached, ever told. My brother-in-law, Steve Katz, also grew up in a Jewish home in Waukegan, Illinois, just north of Chicago. And he and my sister, Laura, were classmates from fourth grade on. So they were, they were chums in school. They started dating. And Laura had kind of a falling away. But then she came back to Christ and shared with Steve uh, what had happened to her as a witness. And Steve, they were both uh, college students at the uh, University of Illinois, Urbana. And Steve was kind of, of course, he's dating Laura. He's interested. And so he decided to do a research paper on Christianity. Had some uh, conversations with uh, one of the pastors of a local Assembly of God church. And, and he came to a Living Song concert once in Waukegan. I was amazed that he even came. And then a couple weeks later, after he'd done his paper, he drove probably 500 miles, I think Laura came with him, uh, to Dayton, Ohio, from Urbana, Illinois, he shows up at a Living Sound concert, and he comes up to me at the end of the concert when we invited people to come forward to receive Christ. He said, Joel, where where did those people go? Meaning the people that came forward. Oh, I said, see, they, they went uh, into this room because they want to pray to receive Christ. He said, I want to do that. I want to receive Christ. And so... My sister was a witness. The pastor in Urbana told him some more. I had the great privilege of praying with Steve. He received Christ. He, named, he, he, was, he was Steve uh, until then, but he chose the biblical Stephen as his name now. He was baptized on Yom Kippur, one of the holy days of Judaism, and now is the North American director of Jews with Jesus, has led many, many massive outreaches, oversaw the work in Israel for years. Why did he come to faith? Because someone happened to be my sister, and I I was a part of it as well, simply shared the truth of the gospel. We can all do the work of an evangelist. We can all witness, tell what has happened to us. So let me just uh, have us look at a couple of motivations. Uh, And I think Paul would be the, the, the best one to go to. Let's look at Paul's missionary motivations. What motivated him to share the gospel? 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is verse 11. Since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. For Christ's love compels us, verse 14, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And then verse 18, a great commission verse, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. We are his witnesses. We are his evangelists, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Terry Law has a classic message. He uh, entitles 10 Reasons Why I'm a World Christian. And he draws his first four reasons from these motivations from this passage. And I think most of us would agree with Terry that the number one motivation for us to share the gospel is because of Christ's love for us. He first loved us. We were lost. On our way to eternal damnation, Christ found us, totally transformed our lives. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took all our bad, all our failure, all our ugliness, all our sin, put it on his son so that in Christ we might become. How incredible, the righteousness of God. We can't even fully comprehend that, that kind of love. God put our sin on his own son, that in exchange we might receive his gift of righteousness. Our sins, my sins, nailed Jesus to the cross. Our sins, the sins of all mankind, killed the son of God. We were lost, we were undone. And now, consider it. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ because of Christ's obedience, because of his great love for us. That is the gospel. That is the greatest story ever told. And I believe that is the greatest motivation for us to share this great and incredible news. A second powerful motivation, again, from the passage from Corinthians is because of the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. It's very important for us to know that there is no condemnation at the judgment seat of Christ. Our sins have been forgiven, have been washed away. God remembers them no more. This is, however, the judgment of believers, our Works will be judged. I expect it will happen at the time of the coming of Christ, right about that time when he comes for his church. Our works will be judged, and I believe also that will be a time when we receive rewards. God is a rewarder. If we give a cup of water to someone who needs it in the name of Jesus, we have a reward. There is a a plethora of verses that talk about God being a rewarder. But I I do want to note that uh, the Scripture also says that even if some of our works may be burned at that judgment seat, we still inherit eternal life. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because that day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I'd like to suggest we look forward to the judgment seat of Christ. That will be a time when our life is examined, and all that is of precious stones and gold will bring a reward. Let's bring many with us that we've been witnesses to that have come to Christ. God is a rewarder. I'm thinking of the hundreds of homes that Ruthie and I stayed in as we traveled in Living Sound, our our music ministry we were a part of. And uh, we had some amazing experiences, uh, funny experiences. But I believe all those families that gave their bedrooms or their living rooms or whatever... Will receive a reward on that day. One funny story. This is uh, amazing. We were in Ohio, and it was Monday morning, the day that we got to sleep in, and they gave us the couch uh, in the living room. And so we thought, well, they'll kind of give us some time to get get dressed. Well, it's like seven in the morning. The whole family shows up, and we are we're under the covers, and they're excited about going. I think there I think it was in Dayton. They were excited about going to the Cincinnati. uh, Reds game that day, and uh, I mean, like this conversation wouldn't end. And I thought, wow, how do we escape? You know. So, but we kept our head. We were witnesses, and I got my jeans on somehow. We kind of crawled out of there. But those people will receive a reward. They gave us their couch to sleep on. A third powerful motivation is because of the reality of hell. We don't hear much preaching about hell. But it is just as real a place as heaven. Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Most all of us remember Jonathan Edwards' most famous sermon, at least the title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and our friends from the New England area would especially appreciate Jonathan Edwards. Uh, He described the horrors of hell to his congregation. The scriptures describe hell as a place of trouble and distress, weeping and gnashing of teeth, everlasting destruction, where the fire never goes out, a fiery lake of burning sulfur. Surely this has to be a motivation for us to share the great news of the gospel with our circle of influence. We all have a circle, and we'll talk about that in a minute with some witnesses that I'm going to call up on stage here. Uh, We have a circle of influence that we can speak to. We don't want any of them to have to spend an eternity in hell. The fourth Uh, of course is the Great Commission and arguably it could be and should be perhaps the first motivation. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then in Acts we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have been commissioned to be witnesses, and there is no plan B. We are the army. We're the ones that will need to do the work. And let me add one fifth motivation very quickly because of the shortness of time. Again, I'll refer to Terry. He's had such a huge impact. I've worked with him for 45 years. Uh, but he, my, I guess my favorite sermon he's ever preached is, come before winter. And those words are right at the s- end of Second Timothy, about the last words that Paul ever wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith. He knew that if Timothy didn't come before the, the winter set in on the Mediterranean, he might not see him. And he just wanted to see him one more time and bring the parchments, he said. "But, But that is a metaphor for us. Time is so short. You know, I was thinking when I was home uh, as a child, I got involved with a book club, and my dad said, well, when, Joel, when are you going to read these books? And I said, oh, yeah, I'll read them someday. You know, my dad's in heaven. Those books are still on my shelf, unread. I mean, this time thing, it just flies. It is it is amazing. But in all seriousness, there are, there are people, their time to hear is limited. And Those persons, especially in our circle of influence, whether they know it or not, they're crying that someone would come before it's too late. So let's get to uh, kind of a practical part here. I'm going to just share a couple things, and I'm going to ask three of our witnesses to come up here. At the seminar, we're told, brutal facts, 2.2 billion Christians, only 2% share their faith. We reviewed the why we are to go. Christ commanded us, of course, to go and make disciples. I think we need to uh, see the emphasis on the going. You know, initially most uh, unbelievers will not come to us. We need to go to them, as we did on the streets of Peoria and as we've done at Kendall Whittier and as we go into our neighborhood here and other places where the Lord leads us. And I I just uh, believe that we're doing a great job of going to the uttermost parts of the earth. Over half of our missionaries are on very difficult-to-access nations where the only way to share the gospel is through a personal witness, typically. But I think we also need to remember our own Jerusalem and continue to think of those people that are part of our circle of influence. We reviewed uh, who we should share with. We identified uh, this uh, cool title of we want to share with persons of peace, the POPs. A person of peace is the person who receives the message, he receives the messenger, and he receives the mission. I'll give you an example. After our about six hours of training, we're told, hey, we're going to go knock on doors and, and, and share our testimony Uh Uh, and use these techniques, Uh, and so that was pretty exciting. I went with uh, Mark, who uh, pastors in Sepulpa, and Matt, who is a truck mechanic, uh, 4th and Sheridan, and we went just as we were. I mean, Matt looked like he could change a tire and got a dirty T-shirt on, ready to go, but that's that's what a witness does, and so uh, we're in this apartment complex, and here's this young guy coming across. His name was Kyle, we found out. And um, um, Mark said to me, hey, this is, uh, those are the best kind. When they're just walking and you're, you're near there. So he calls, him, hey, hey, can we, can we talk to you for just a minute? And he said, hey, sure, come on. And so he came up and he said, we're just in the neighborhood. We just wanted to be a blessing. And just wanted to ask if we could, we could pray for something that maybe you, you need prayer about and uh, anything like that. And Kyle said, sure, I'd love for you to pray for, for my family. And uh, so then uh, Mark said, Joel, why don't you pray for Kyle? And, uh, and uh, I'm illustrating Kyle here as a person of peace. He was very welcoming. He said, hey, pray for my family. Pray for me. I've just moved from Walitka, Oklahoma. Does anybody know where Walitka is? I looked it up. It's down not too far south of here. He had moved in and just trying to figure out life. He's about 18 years old, and we prayed for him. And, and then uh, we... Uh, shared, uh, Matt, the the truck mechanic, shared this uh, uh, testimony, and we're going to illustrate that. Hey, guys, why don't you come on up right now, okay? These are our witnesses, our evangelists, that uh, were part of the training. And so uh, Matt uh, gets up and, uh, or he's he's there with Kyle, and he says, Kyle, can, can can I just show you something here? So can you can you hold up uh, the first one? And what we what we can do with this is we do it on a three by five card when we're talking to the people. It says, uh, Kyle. So you know that. Uh, by the way, my wife's an artist, and I was practicing, and she was working on real art, so that's why. But can you read that? Can can you see that, Jim? Okay, good. Come on closer. Okay, yeah. So Kyle, very briefly want to share that there's three things we want you to know. God had a perfect design and that's the first circle. It was called paradise and it was actually absolutely beautiful. Everything was amazing. But uh the second circle but uh Eve and then Adam right after him decided to rebel and uh they ended up in the second circle, which is called brokenness. Now, most people don't like to be in that circle. And so what they do is they try to get out of it in every possible way. They might try alcohol, fame, a great career, a lot of money. They might get into drugs, illicit relationships, anything that can get them out of that uh, that circle of brokenness. But, but, but what happens, hey, Dave, I'm, I'll need you to come up here, okay, for this third one, okay? because uh, I'm going to almost get into the third one here. <laughs> what, what happens is all of these are like bungee cords. You you go out that way, and it pulls you back into brokenness. You go down the drug route, and you get back into this brokenness, and you're more broken than you've ever been. But God knew all about this, and so he sent his only son, Jesus, and all he asks if is if we will just turn to Jesus, just turn to him, and ask him to be the boss in our life, make him Lord of our life. If we'll do that, uh, he will restore us, he'll transform us, he'll heal us, he'll make make us to become uh, the righteousness of God in Christ and bring us back to this first circle. And then, then he sends us as his witnesses, his evangelists, to this broken world to tell this story. So we, we, we practiced that. And Beth, I want you now to come up to this mic and I'll hold this for you, okay? And share how you shared with your classroom uh, this. Uh, and I think you're going to give us your testimony too, aren't you?
1: I was excited about was being able to have an a elevator testimony. You know, if you get in the elevator with somebody and you only have so many seconds, what can you say? And I can say to you that. There was a time in my life when I was abandoned and broken. But when Christ came into my life, he found me and accepted me, and he's healing me. Do you have a story like that in your life? And that's my that's my introduction. And I can say, you know, all of us, um, I shared this with my seventh grade class. We were talking about the place of Christ in the world that we're in. And this is all in light of science. But if we don't get the basics down in uh, what the story of God is, how all of that works out, then they don't understand how science works because they don't understand how the beginning of science was, which is what God made for us. So I said to them, you know, I know you've all had opportunities and wanted to witness and maybe you just didn't know what to say. I want to help you think of ways that you can share. All you have to do is remember these three circles and you can do this because you've heard the stories. So this is to my seventh grade class. So I said, uh, I told him my story that I had been broken abandoned and broken, and that now I was able to be uh, found, accepted, and healed and what do you know about that our world is broken and so i 'm drawing oh, on the board do you under, do you agree that things are bad and we talked about some things that were bad and I said, and you know people try to get out of this, they want to make their lives better, they try how do they get away from being broken you know people like us we try really hard by going to church every week and we would never miss or we might even just try our homework harder or we might just try to be sure we never miss skipping or never miss our bible then you know people who've made bad choices they've chosen things that overtake them like drugs or alcohol or you know they try to make have relationships with a lot of people or they leave the person that they've committed to and they go off and try other people you know and we just talked about some of the things that cause us to be broken how can we get out of this broken circle? What can we do? How can we have any, any peace or any change in our lives? We have to come to Christ. And this is, our, this is what Christ offers us. You have an option to be out of this broken world by Christ. He came down. There's an arrow down. He came down from heaven. He died on the cross for us, and he came back to heaven. So he's ruling now in heaven, and we can make him in charge of our lives. We put the crown on the top. You can make him in charge of your life. And then you're going to be able to move from being broken to moving back to this world that was perfect. The one that we remember. The one we knew when we were. You know there's things you need to remember. They were always right. Things that were just perfect. That's reminding us of the perfect world that God made. The way that he had the world put together. And we can go back to that perfect place. And then I ask them, where do you see yourselves in these circles? And some of them weren't sure where they were. So it was an opportunity for me to share that we can be sure of where we are in these circles. And they, but I'm going to come back to it again because I want them to know for sure that they are in Christ, that they don't have to be afraid of not being in him. I think they decided that they were between Christ and the perfect design. They don't feel like they're totally redeemed. Well, that's where they, that's where we are. So it was a, Positive and exciting time for me. See, so, and you know, I did that incorrectly. I was supposed to tell about this right after that, and I got this in the middle, but you still understood it, right? Great. Okay, so good. <laughs> thank you.
0: I'm going to hold this again. Tom, you had a, a. Tom has taken the training three times. So why don't you come up here, Tom, and just tell us what, uh, what has happened in your life? And I think you have a special testimony you can share in about a minute or so.
2: Um, when I, I shared a testimony before, I talked about how where I work. Uh, these uh, three-circle, three-by-five cards were laying around, and uh, they were really intriguing. So I, I called the pastor, Anthony, and I said, Hey, I'd like to get together with you and you show me the progression. How, how do you share this? This looks really good. So that led to him giving me an invitation to go to the first training, and he said, Bring anybody from your church. And so mm-hmm. Don and Jody and I went, and uh, that first training was about six hours, and it was overwhelming. It was taking a drink out of a out of a hydrant. So there was another opportunity to go, which is when we all went together. It was my second time. And then uh, I wound up having an opportunity to go on a third time, which was uh, last weekend. And every time that's been presented, the pieces are in a different order. And there's a lot of pieces, and they're just floating around with me thinking like, you know, okay, but this last training were two hours Friday, eight on Saturday, and two more on Sunday. And I got this Big picture, and it's like, got it. I know where we're going. And I can't share it with you because I don't want to give a spoiler. I'm not even going to give you a spoiler alert. But I believe at some point in time, we're going to have that training here in Tulsa. And I'd like you to get fired up and start practicing these three circles. And I've not had a single bad response yet. Nobody's accepted the Lord. But this whole thing about brokenness is perfect for where we're at right now. You don't have to argue. It hits their heart and their mind at the same time. I like to start with this circle, go to this circle, and come back to this one. And this last weekend, I was short, uh, briefly, how to share this with Muslims. And if you're interested, see me later. Great.
0: Let me just put that right there. well, you can tell we were, we were challenged, we were blessed, uh, we were encouraged. Um, we, uh, of course, need to answer uh, what we want to share. We want to share, of course, our brief testimony like Beth did. Uh, if we have the opportunity to sh- share th- these three circles, it, it, it's, it's wonderful. And then I think it's so great what Beth said. We, we need to ask the question, where do you find yourself? in these circles. When we were talking to Kyle, the young guy from Olitka, he said right away, hey, brokenness. I mean, we're all there, he said. And we agree with Kyle. We, we've all been there. And he said, you know, I'm trying to make a living, trying to figure it out. He said, I prayed to receive Jesus uh, when I was 13. I figure he's about 18 now. And we walked back to his apartment and we said, we want to come back to see you again. And I just had a sense that I had just one verse for Kyle. I said, Kyle, I don't know if you memorize Bible verses, but I've got, I've got a verse for you. He that has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Kyle, when you pray to receive Jesus, something powerful happened in your life and God is a work in your life. So we found that this is one more way that we can share the cost gospel effectively. And, uh, uh, when are we to share? Uh, was That was another area we covered. Uh, we talked especially about our oikos, our household. Uh, can you turn that one over? Oikos is the Greek word for household, and we all have a circle of influence, uh, family, neighbors, colleagues at work, people on the same athletic teams. Those are the people we should be praying for every week. We should be... Uh, spending extra time in prayer for them, perhaps missing a meal uh, just to pray for them. We were encouraged to target, to share with at least one person in that circle of influence each week. And then uh, we should be, once we have an opportunity to follow up, we should be training at least one person per week. So, so that was uh, uh, some of the training. It was, it was challenging. It was exciting. And I felt like it was uh, for our time. Let me, let me share one more story uh, to close, uh, not to make this longer than it needs to be. I went to see the Sully movie. Have uh, any of you seen it yet? Uh, I've seen it twice now. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. And the second time, uh, General Sada sat on my right-hand side, and Darshan, my son-in-law, sat there, and we talked about it afterwards, and I got the General's comments about the landing, and he said that the film, though for those of you who uh, exaggerated the landing in an improper way, it would have not been a huge splashdown. He said it would have been a smoke landing for them to have survived it. And I said, what's, what's a smoke landing? He said he, he was a fighter pilot. For those of you who don't know, he's flown about 38 different kind of fighter planes for Iraq. And uh, he said a smoke landing is when you come down and the, the angle of attack is so perfect that when, you're, when your wheels touch down... You can't even tell if you landed or not. And like when he'd be having young guys train with him, they'd say, he'd say, are we on the ground or not? And they wouldn't know because he he was such a great pilot. And the smoke is just that tiny bit of smoke that comes off your tires when you touch the tarmac. So he said for Sully and for those 155 to have survived, he made the perfect landing. He he touched down. He had the angle of uh, attack exact, and he just skimmed that water, and they settled down. But what really struck me about the movie, and by the way, the, uh, the scriptwriter is a Christian. He prayed a lot about how he should present the movie. Uh, there, there's several things. One of the things that early on, whatever happens, Sully's um, instructor said, fly the plane. Whatever happens in life, fly the plane. I think for us, whatever happens, we're to be witnesses. Anyway, Sully... Uh, Had 204 seconds to decide what he was going to do with those 155 souls, and he recognized that the only possible way for them to survive was to do the what's now called the miracle landing on the Hudson. And so uh, that's what he did. He was interviewed by Katie Couric afterwards, and she said, "Why did you make that incredible choice? Why put the lives of 155?" Uh, at such incredible risk. And, of course, Sully knew that that was his only choice. He said, I knew I could do it. It was not proudful. It was 42 years of experience. It was all the training he'd done as a glider pilot. I'd like to bring that to us. We have, many of us, 40 years of experience sharing the gospel I know we can do it. I know we can reach our circle of influence. And the thing that gripped me more than anything in the movie is as, as the plane is in the water, Sully is sloshing to the very back of the plane in the bathroom and he's shouting at the top of his lungs is anybody else in here? Anybody? You've got to get out. And he's, he's sure that everybody is out. Every single person is out. They get into the, uh, the ferries. It took 24 minutes for the NYPD and all the people. There's about 1,000 people in, in the rescue. And when they get to the shore, there's this tremendous look of concern on Sully's face. And he's, he's looking to the other airline personnel and the people are there. He says, I've got to have a count. I've got to have a count. There's 155 souls. I've got to have a count. I've got to have a count. And he's, he's desperate to know. He's desperate to know. And they say, well, Sully, there, some of them are in New Jersey. Some of them are in other, other places. We, we just don't know. And then just a little bit later, one of the uh, top people from U.S. Air comes to him and says, Sully, 155. And that, I think, is what I'd like to end with. God is not willing that any should perish. It is our commission to reach those that are in brokenness, have crash-landed, are just barely holding on. So let's, let's close with prayer. Father, thank you for this uh, chance to, to look at your word. Thank you for the motivations that uh, motivated Paul to go through shipwreck and stonings and, and being left for dead because he wanted yet one more person to hear the gospel. Help us to remember the reality of hell, the shortness of life, and the fact that there is no plan B. But we are the ones that have been commissioned to carry the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord, that there's no condemnation. Thank you just for inspiring us to use all of our experience as Sully did in that landing and perhaps use some of these techniques to carry the message in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless all of you.